space. Well, not really. Take two. Here, in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best things since the neutral zone. Oh man, we are back again. Code 47 podcast coming at you on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. I am your host, your humble servant, Trek Lord of West Michigan, Charlie Carden, uh, coming at you with uh, the, 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 the trinamic trio of uh, Aaron and Rich uh, to back here to talk a, a little bit about Star Trek. Guys, uh, fellow beings, how are we doing this evening? I'm great. Uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, living the dream, I guess. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, ooh, ah, uh, uh, are, you, are you being the awkward one tonight? Uh, ooh, I'm uh, the awkward uh, one tonight, yeah. Who's the wuzzle? <laughs> well, uh, we we pulled we pulled a fast one last week. You know, we we had a we we changed the schedule. We were enjoying uh, season one of Discovery so much that Aaron says to me, "I just want to keep it going. Let's keep it going. Let's jump right into season two. Let's forget about the going through all the shows in order and all this different stuff. Let's keep discoverying. So that's what we're doing. We're just, you know what? We're the masters of our own destiny here. We're, we're driving the starship. So we're just going to get going uh, right into uh, season two of Star Trek Discovery, which gave us uh, the superb Anson Mount as Captain Pike taking the rollover from Jeffrey Hunter from the days of way back. Uh, and we have Ethan Peck, grandson of the famous Gregory Peck, the amazing actor, taking over uh, as a young Lieutenant Spock in what I think is certainly the best turn uh, since Leonard Nimoy, but that's easy to say because uh, there never was anyone who did it because the J.J. verse doesn't exist. Wait, that's Gregory Peck's son or grandson? Yeah, it, it is. That's amazing. That's awesome. I know. I I'm know. Not, I'm not surprised. I, he's, uh, he, I mean, he has a very iconic look. I think he's a, he's a stone-cold talent. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Totally awesome. Uh, so, without further ado, oh, and of course, Rebecca Romaine is number one. Uh, and her her portrayal uh, actually uh, spurned the friendship between my friend Miranda and I because she does a great number one in cosplay. My gray hair really aids me out as Captain Pike, so she and I are kind of a con-circuit duo as Pike and number one. So, that is very nice. near and dear to my heart, without a doubt. I was I was honestly surprised to see Rebecca remain in the middle of this. I right. didn't recognize her. I well, she, I I feel like she's been out of the spotlight for an awfully long time. I can't remember. I mean, and TV. What what is she? She she's a film actor, so I I can't really remember a show that I've seen her on. So and again, she played you know a smaller role on this. We don't see her until episode three or four. Uh, and then in the first half of the season, we're talking about the first seven episodes tonight, uh, and then we'll handle the other seven episodes when we come back next week. Um, you know, her role is minor, um, but again, it really does tee us up to see what's because the success of the season did spawn the uh, now in production. I just saw something tonight that uh, episode seven of ten is being produced right now of the first seasons of Strange New World, so we're getting closer. Nice. Oh wow, yes. that's excellent. Not so, seven anyway, of nine, huh? Not seven of nine, no. But they should just fur- make them nine. That way they could do seven of nine every, every time. Every, every single one. Without Jeez. further ado, let's kick it off with episode one, Brother. Aaron, that's you. Okay. En route to the planet Vulcan to pick up its new captain, the USS Discovery receives a distress call from the USS Enterprise. Captain Christopher Pike 
takes emergency command of Discovery, explaining that the Enterprise suffered catastrophic damage while investigating seven mysterious signals scattered across the galaxy. Six of the signals have since disappeared, as does the seventh when Discovery arrives at its, at its location. The crew discovers the wreckage of the USS Hiawatha. Did I say that right? Hiawatha? Hiawatha. Yeah, I believe so. Hiawatha. Which is believed to have been lost during the war on an asteroid composed of non-baryonic matter. Inside, they find Chief Engineer Jet Reno using some voodoo kind of engineering techniques as a medical officer to keep people alive. It was like the Treehouse of Horror combined with some kind of Frankenstein's lab. It was <laughs> so cool. Commander Michael Burnham, having seen a red angel, that's in quotes, while on the asteroid, visits the Enterprise to search the quarters of her foster brother, Spock, who Pike reveals is on leave of absence from Starfleet. She discovers a file from his personal log describing nightmares of the seven signals he had since childhood. Holy shit. What a kickoff. Yes. To the oh first my God. episode of any season, it was just like, oh, they grab you by the short curlies, and they, they restored my faith in the space walk thing that annoyed the shit out of me in, in two of the three JJ movies. Oh, we're doing a spacewalk. Oh, we're doing a space jump. Oh, you suck, JJ. This was <laughs> the bomb, you know. And they were in those little pod things, kind of like from Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, and it was so funny. You had they did have the trope of the one officer who's a real dickhead who's like, don't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm boom gets hit by an asteroid. That guy sucked. <laughs> yeah, that it guy. was it was really good timing of him like getting hit. But then I liked how Pike got hit and he has like this oh shit look on his face and then, you know, it, he he is saved by Burnham. It's right. a good their relationship dynamic um starts really early on, I mean, in the first episode because you can tell he kind of doesn't know what to make of her. Because she's notorious, he's heard of her, so mm-hmm. it's it's very very cool. Did you like the scene in the beginning where they showed um, he's introducing himself and his his um, I, I think Tilly accidentally brings up like his whole resume, right? right his personnel yeah. file, R- right? No, that I thought I thought that was pretty. I just oh god. He's just he's dreamy. I love everything about his portrayal of the character. I, mean, I know. Just... I've been telling my daughter that that's her real dad. Oh, <laughs> oh boy, that's gonna be awkward someday. Um, but yeah, wow, what what a kickoff! I just absolutely loved it. Rich, your thoughts? I think that it was a great way to start off uh, season two, and um, I, the the Enterprise stuff where Michael goes over to kind of look around her uh, look around Spock's quarters uh, left me wanting more Enterprise, which mm-hmm. thankfully we're getting. Um, right. The one thing I will say about this is you talk about how they they did their little spacewalk thing, and that was in in Star Trek in the in JJ's Star Trek JJ Trek JJ um, Trek Yeah, Suck Trek. Sorry. And the and the writer or the director of this episode is Alex Kurtzman. Yeah. Who wrote Star Trek. Mr. Suck Trek himself. Mr. Yeah. Suck Trek himself has redeemed himself. But J.J., you're still on the outs, buddy. Right. You are, especially when people have to say, yeah, nobody, nobody's love. Nobody's given J.J. any love these maybe days. Maybe J.J. So. can go make another Toy Story movie. Maybe. He, did or he make maybe one? just another Super 8 or something, you know? I mean, do yeah. something. Yeah. Right. That was that was genuinely enjoyable. So, yeah. oh, crazy. All right. Moving on. Episode two, New Eden. Rich, this is you. Right. Burnham confronts Pike with Spock's personal log entry. 
He reveals that Spock committed himself to a psychiatric psychiatric unit one week after taking leave and requested that Starfleet not inform her or or his parents. Discovery detects another of the signals and uses the spore drive to travel to a beta quadrant planet with a previously unknown human population. A looped transmission suggests that the population departed Earth sometime during World War III. Pike and Burnham lead an away team to the surface, finding a primitive society with a religion combining multiple human faiths. As the investigation continues, an anomaly produces an extinction-level radiation shower. Ensign Sylvia Tilly, acting on asking on a fellow ensign's advice, uses a sample of the asteroid to avert catastrophe. Later, Tilly recognizes the ensign as May Ahern, a high school classmate who died five years earlier. Returning to Discovery, Pike reviews the footage from the soldier's helmet camera from the Society and learns that the Red Angel from Burnham's vision brought the population from Earth. Ooh, the thickening of the plot. Add yeah. a little suspense and it thickens up. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, great stuff. The the old you know population yanked from Earth a couple hundred years ago is is a serious Star Trek trope. We had that in the thirty sevens. Uh, I know that we had another episode. So not, what's another episode that we have that going on, guys? And that you have something else that jumps to mind. I'm pretty sure there was something in the original series about it. There right, was some, Yeah. There was uh, what was that one that we. Um, God, I don't know. There was one I thought in Next Generation, wasn't there? Pro- well, there was the uh, the Masterpiece Society, the G- Genetically Engineered Society. So, yeah, I mean, okay. it's a it's a it's a foregone kind of Star Trek thing happening. Whatever, um, you know. And, and they bring in they bring in some religious iconography in this, and you find out that uh, Pike grew up in this uh, very uh, divided household where you know his father was an atheist, but he was also a comparative religion teacher or something of that nature. Uh, you found that uh, Owasikin, who is the navigator, uh, is is from uh, basically a Luddite society within Earth. So you know that. Which is the the first bit of character development we get out of her. So there's yeah. certainly a, there's certainly a lot going on here. Um, they didn't mention in the first episode that you know Tilly had this wacky head injury, and now all of a sudden she's seeing a a dead friend, and and you're like, well, why why are they, why are they tossing this weird B story in? But the beauty that, of the- that girl's accent too. Yeah, yeah. I got <laughs> real. I got tired of it really fast. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you there. But what's mm-hmm. interesting about that is that where something, again, in episode two might seem like fluff, they really do find a way to layer it out into what becomes the bigger uh, plot line of, the, of this first half of the season, which I really appreciate. So uh, they just really find it a, gr- a great way to keep things moving. And again, you know, thickening the depth of the Red Angel. So this is two of seven mm-hmm. uh, signals that they're going out there to find. So it just keeps getting better. Oh, my God. Did you notice that um, they did that whole dynamic thing with Burnham and Christopher Pike again, but she doesn't want to. She thinks it's the wrong decision, but she follows his orders. Mm. I mean, even after he's injured, he wakes up to learn like she followed his orders, even though she wasn't against it. And then she could kind of leverage that at the end to go back and give the helmet cam. But in exchange, you know, they give um, what was the guy's name that was on the planet with the helmet cam? I don't remember. Anyway, they exchange it for some to give him some supplies and they give him some closure for the helmet cam. Right. I mean, I I just loved that whole little arc that was in it. It was very it was very cool. 
I dug on it. Richie, what'd you I think? Agreed. Uh, I think anytime you give Tilly something to do, I'm happy. I like her. Yeah. I like her character. Um, I mean, the the Pike and Burnham stuff, I mean, I kind of figured that they were going to get you know center stage, but anytime you got Tilly in there, I'm a happy guy. I like Tilly. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't 100%. I'm with you, Aaron. I didn't like the accent. I wasn't 100% sure where they were going to go with this, but I really yeah, liked the, that she... I mean, I don't hate the accent in general. Right. I, it was just a little too much for me. Yeah. And they had her talking a lot. And I was like, what's the point of this woman the whole time? So the combination of like her, it being confusing and the accent, I was like, I don't know if I like this, just like Tilly going crazy. But then, I mean, <laughs> we learned that that's not why, but right, right. that was my first impression. Mm, mm, Absolutely. Mm, mm. All right, moving along. Episode three, Aaron, this is going to be you. Point of light. Spock's mother, uh, Mrs. Sarek. I mean, Amanda Grayson. <laughs> no, Whoever's... you know what? My name ain't baby. It's Janet. Miss Janet. <laughs> um, Amanda Grayson learns that he has escaped the psychiatric inst- uh, psychiatric unit and is wanted for murdering three doctors. Whoops. She steals she steals his medical records and takes them to Discovery for decryption. Grayson recognizes a drawing in the records from Spock's childhood art, the Red Angel. Burnham admits to emotionally hurting Spock when they were young to Oh, I get it now. Okay. To protect him from Vulcan's <laughs> logic extremists. On Quonos, Klingon House Leader Colshaw threatens to kill Starfleet officer Ash Tyler, formerly Ooh, Klingon Vok. Kill him. And the Klingon <laughs> Empire's leader, Laurel, for having a secret child. Instead, they kill him with the help of Philippa Giorgio, the empress of the Mirror Universe's Terran Empire, and now a Starfleet Section 31 agent. In a ruse to consolidate power, Laurel convinces the Klingon High Counselor, High Council that Tyler and the baby are dead. Giorgio delivers the baby to a monastery and recruits Tyler to Section 31. Burnham and engineer Paul Stamets use dark matter to remove a parasite from Tilly that caused her to hallucinate May. Wow. Yeah. Whole lot, lot going go- on. This is like a go- soap opera. I know. <laughs> the baby and yeah. You know the Klingon stuff. I could I I, I could do without it. I, yeah. I just I, I just you know, and I guess I'm kind of like Ash Tyler and their their extreme. Uh, you know, Klingon over pronunciation. There's the accent that drives me nuts. Where they're always like, yeah, but they do they do it a lot slower than that on this. They talk so slow. I know, guttural and slow. So yeah. I feel like there would have been a better use of story development to not go back to the well with these. This just oh, the Klingons from season one just did not do it for me. So. Um, I, had a, I had a question about this episode when I was watching it. It's not about the episode. It's just about something I was thinking about the next generation. But the monastery that they go to is the same one that they go to in the episode Rightful Air on TNG. Yes, and since they age differently, do you think it's possible that Vox's son is on that monastery in that episode of TNG? Could be. I, I mean, mean, you know, oh, yeah, he, you, you Huh. You definitely see, like, you know, when you have the, the TOS Klingons, uh, Kang, uh, Koloth, and Kor that show up in DS9, they're obviously, you know, 150 years older thereabouts. So, yeah, why 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 wouldn't it be exactly the same? Well, also, <laughs> when we see Pike there later and he meets Vok, or not Vok, what's his name? What's the, Oh, they don't name him. The unnamed son of Vok. Right. Son of Vok. Um, he's, an, he's an adult. So, I mean, he could just age rapidly to become an adult and then be an adult for 500 years. 
I, you know, you're jumping ahead in something I don't remember watching. So stop it. That's in the <laughs> oh, latter sorry. half. Knock it off. Um, so anyway, yeah, could have done without the Klingon stuff. Uh, I'm glad that they wrapped up or got close to wrapping up this Tilly, Tilly hit injury deal yeah. or they're trying to because, yeah, I just. Ugh. So anyway, Richie, your thoughts. Uh, you don't want that Tilly stuff to go on too long because you want her to, you know, it's, it's, it is like you said, the B story. And I feel like it does go on too long. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, It it, it becomes like the B plus story where you don't need it. More of a B minus. Right. And then also uh, section 31. I want more of that. I know there was a, a show that was supposed to be in development. I don't know if it still is. Um, I think so. Is T- it? That's fantastic. T- I, 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 it was my understanding that it was kind of TBD. So I don't, uh-huh. I, I don't know if that's the case, but who uh, knows? Lastly, the Ash Tyler Vok Lorel thing. This, even, even this synopsis confuses me more about this. Was he? Is he formerly a Klingon? Uh, he was. God, what or did we figure out? Was he formerly Ash Tyler with Klingon memories implanted implanted in him? Like he's was always Ash Tyler, but then he got brain scrubbed. But they yeah. Did so it now he's cu- now he's both. Yeah. Yeah. So he's just like kind of eternally both. But I think Ash Tyler is now like the dominant personality. I really don't think I like the way they did that. I really don't. I like. I wish I, they. Would I have do just... and I don't because honestly, I hated the whole Ash Tyler thing. The last season and by the end of season two i i'm like okay he's all right (laughs) so i mean they they i know what you're saying you don't like him but i i don't think that there was anything else that they could have possibly done to make this a redeemable character except kill him yeah well there's that (laughs) yeah shows shows always jump to that though so this is right kudos to them for trying the actor may have had a contract there's right and you don't know. And again, you don't know that he's gone forever because the actor, the character could be back in Stranger Worlds. He could be back in the Section 31 thing if it pops up. But uh, anyway, moving on to episode four, this is where we're starting to kick into gear with what we're going to find out uh, developing plotline through the rest of the season. So uh, episode four is an oval for Sharon. So I believe Rich is up. That's me. A living, intelligent, planetoid-sized sphere pulls Discovery out of warp and immobilizes it. The crew surmises the sphere is a well-intentioned or is well-intentioned and has gathered a gargantuan amount of data all over the galaxy that it does not want to be lost before it dies. However, the sphere's hold on Discovery triggers Varha, Varhari. Varhari? How does that? Yes. Go? Yeah, Bahari. I think that, I, I think you got. Yeah, it's Bahari. It. Yep. In Commander Saru, a fetal a fatal condition to his species, the Kelpians, which is a great name. The sphere transmits its information to the crew and dies, releasing Discovery to not be caught in an in the ensuing ins- explosion. Saru asks Burnham to help him prepare for his death by removing his threat ganglia, which sense danger. However, they fall out on their own and leave Saru healthy and living without overwhelming fear. Meanwhile, the parasite attaches itself to Tilly again. Once oh, again, come on! <laughs> once again, accessing her memories to communicate as a hallucination of May. The parasite claims Discovery has nearly destroyed its ecosystem by using its species my- mycelial network to jump through space with the spore drive. Then it consumes Tilly, leaving no trace of her. 
I think I'm going ed- to edit these down for us. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. So moving moving forward, I'm I'm going to edit these down a little. All bit. right, okay. you you are you are more than welcome. This Thank episode you. this episode, uh, you know, control the, the 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 data, the sphere data, whatever is that's uh, control is the name of it, which that that takes over the drive of the rest of the season, and of mm-hmm. course it is what uh, is the reason that that. Discovery does have to leave uh, the 23rd century at the end right. to, to jump forward. And, and that's all legit. Uh, the stuff with uh, Saru, awesome. It's great yeah. to see his character go through that character development. And it really uh, does jump us right into uh, the next episode or the, the next couple of episodes where we see him uh, going back to his home planet. Uh, and then, then uh, she, she, the showdown with the, the Ba'ul, the... The evil, like black, uh, like it looks like Armus, the thing that killed Tashiar. Uh, yeah. That like weird, creepy species. Like that's all cool. The stuff with Tilly, knock it off. I, I am, I'm done. Did I'm you, done. I, did you guys I, catch the 47 reference in this episode? You know, they, they all float around so much. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I life, life, recall life, life support is at 47 percent. Of course. Forty-seven uh, is, you know what we should, we should, we should absolutely be a little bit. If you catch a forty-seven during a show, put it in the show notes because again, we have to be responsible to forty-seven because we are code forty-seven. But that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing, Charlie. I got you, and you and you do it well. Um, so this is the first time I've ever heard anyone speak Hebrew on Star Trek. Awesome, I love it. Yeah, whenever that's, their their translator was messed up with the sphere and they were all speaking right. different languages. Yeah, one of um, uh, Christopher Pike was speaking Hebrew. Right, that's awesome. That yeah, was pretty it. cool. I love it. So great stuff. Uh, but keep me the, the Tilly scene. And again, that does that that does flower. It does produce fruit, and it does give us uh, plot development even in the next couple of episodes. But uh, <laughs> just find some other way. You know what I mean? So, uh, Aaron, other thoughts? Nope, that's it. All right, Richie. Uh, I was happy to see the the developments with Saru. Uh, I like him as a character. I like the the idea that they've been living with this these threat ganglia and like thinking that this was you know the loss of them meant death and all that. Without, I think that was my my favorite part of this too, Rich. Yeah. I, I wasn't a big fan of this episode, even though this whole season to me is dynamite. Um, mm-hmm. but I I didn't. I didn't like the episode that much, but I really liked that part with Saru. Yeah, yeah, it mm-hmm. gave it, it it gave it a little bit more because they talk about it so much in the first season. Threat ganglia, right. threat ganglia. I mean, ganglia is a weird word to begin with, but they Ooh. talk about it like a lot. And, so ga- so <laughs> Yeah, right. And yeah, they were pretty gangly. Yeah, oh, yeah. and and so it gives it, it gives the whole thing. It it kind of wraps up that whole mini arc for him, what that means and what that means for his species, and I kind of right. like that. Well, I, I really did enjoy kind of the tender characterization moments between him and Burnham. They were so at odds, mm-hmm. uh, certainly in the first season with everything that happened, you know, in the first couple of episodes with the Battle of the Binaries and George O being killed and, and mm-hmm. Michael, you know, being being imprisoned and, and how much – uh, you know, Saru just hated having her around again because he was like, you know, oh, I'm free of this toxic relationship I had with yeah, Michael. Yeah, and Burns. like you're... she's the one, she's the one he trusts the most at this right. point. Right, yeah, exactly. you're right. So it's 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 an amazing you know 180 uh, in that character relationship, and I think really well illustrated in this episode. So I I dig on that. So well, cool. Moving along, number five, Saints of Imperfection. Stamets and Burnham conclude Tilly has been taken to the mycelial network. 
She wakes up there with the May parasite who wants her to help her stop a monster ravaging their world. Discovery finds the shuttle that Spock used to escape the psychiatric unit to find Giorgio on board. Section 31, Captain Leland assigns Tyler to Discovery as a liaison to ensure that Discovery does not interfere with Section 31's own investigation into Spock. Discovery conducts a half jump into the mycelial network to give Stamets and Burnham limited time to find Tilly before the network consumes the ship. Burnham and Stamets discover the monster is Stamets' husband, Hugh Culber, the former Discovery medical officer who was murdered by Tyler during the war. Stamets was connected to the network when Culber died, allowing his energy to be recreated by the spores. Burnham now convinces May to use the parasite cocoon on Discovery, through which Tilly was transported into the network to rebuild Culber's body in normal space. I gotta say, guys, this whole thing with Culber, I, it was stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's just for, you just would just prefer to have him left dead. I mean, like, it was very- I, I liked him as a character. Don't get me wrong, but why did they kill him in the first place? This was like the dumbest way to resurrect a character. It was just yeah. to me, it was just dumb. It was so Star Trekky, but it, and again, was his death really pivotal in season one to you know demonstrate Tyler's descent into madness? No, there was absolutely no point. I yeah, and maybe there was, and I don't get it, but it it just seems like it was pointless to me. The the point is for is later, I think, because Hugh is going to become a driving force for Stamets and his decisions um, later, even though they're kind of on the outs for a little bit. Yeah, but right? what is what is it? Him and his decisions, but what does it matter? Because mm-hmm. they in season three, spoiler alert, they're both on Discovery, right? And right. they're both together. So what mm-hmm. was the point of this at all? Right to 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 create a momentary lapse like what kind of a will they will oh are they gonna make it whatever it is yeah it was just I, like so to me it was just soap opera drama they 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 do tend to squeak in a little bit more of that to this show and yeah. uh, but 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 somehow they find a way to make it work because we we all love the show so much but <laughs> always I hear opportun- them. I hear them mentioning Leland in this by the way it's not written in the synopsis at all oh no Captain Leland assigns Tyler. This, yes. When I heard this and I heard the name Leland, I was like, you know what? Leland is just as douchey sounding as Ash Tyler. The name. <laughs> we had a, there was a guy in our friend group in high school whose name was was Leland, and he just didn't necessarily turn out to be a great guy. He's one of my brother's friends, so kind of, yeah, kind of douchey in the final analysis. So I, I'm with you. I don't necessarily disagree. Don't sounds necessarily like the, disagree. sounds like the first name of a Stephen King bad guy is what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, Leland, Leland. Le- Leland Leland yeah. McJu, the crooked sheriff of Naughty Pines, Maine. <laughs> <laughs> Did I nail it? Is that a real character? It seems like it's, it absolutely seems like it is. I think it's uh, isn't it, it Leland, Leland Gaunt? I think is a character, a Stephen King character. Oh, I don't know. I I honestly I don't like Stephen King. <laughs> April, I know I should. April, but April, I don't. Is, April is a huge fan, but yeah, he's the uh, he's the proprietor of Needful Things. I yes. think oh, I think I think that he get I think that Stephen King is like has really really good ideas but I don't think he's a very good writer. He doesn't know how to end a story, that's for sure. So I think and like I like he, Stephen King, but I think I think his stuff makes like really good films, but I tried to read Stephen King books and I'm like these are so horribly written, I can't read this. Mm. <laughs> but it's my, super my, my. creative. Anyway, sorry. Everybody's gonna hate me now. Oh my goodness! Yes, you, you it, get ready for our Twitter to actually blow up. So, uh, episode six, uh, with respect to Mr. Bob Seger, the sound of thunder. 
Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Another of the mysterious signals leads Discovery to Saru's homeworld of Kaminar. Yeah, the Kelpians' predators, the Ba'ul, demand Pike surrender Saru as Starfleet has agreed to stay out of the conflict between the two species. Pike refuses, but Saru turns himself over to prevent a fight. Tilly works with the technologically augmented Lieutenant Commander Arium to sift through the sphere's information on Kaminar. They learn that the post-Vahari Kelpians were once Kaminar's dominant species and nearly eradicated the Ba'u, with the latter only surviving using their superior technology to call Kelpians before they lose their threat ganglia. Pike uses the Ba'ul's technology to trigger Vahari and all Kelpians, hoping the two species can instead work towards peaceful solution once the Kelpians are freed and learn the truth about their past from Saru's priestess sister, Sarana. The Ba'ul retaliates to, st- retaliates to Starfleet's actions by commi- attempting genocide, but is stopped by the Red Angel, whom Saru sees as a humanoid wearing a highly advanced suit. Ooh. We got more hints about the Red Angel. I'm Horrible you, last sentence in that. You thing, know who is? You know who is clearly in the Red Angel suit? Doctor Samuel Beckett. Don't isn't this very quantum leaping? <laughs> He's jumping all over the damn place. You know, putting things right that were wrong. Samson, Delilah, and King Kong. Okay, that last part was a rap lyric. Very, very. It is very obscure, but I, I felt the need. Um, this 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 episode was kind of dark. I mean, they're all kind of dark, but it was it was almost a little bit scary. Saru right. went kind of psycho. Um, and you know, I remember I was watching this with my boyfriend who. He likes Star Trek, but he was sitting there, his eyes glued to the TV with his mouth open, like the entire episode, because he was so enthralled with it. And I mean, I really liked it. It was so, an yeah, intense episode. Very much yeah. so. And yeah, to, and, 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 and groundbreaking and again, for, you know, the species overall, uh, you know, for Saru in particular, uh, and to learn that, you know, the, their entire uh, life of subservience is based is predicated upon uh, the fact you know uh, uh, on a lie, but the fact that yeah they, they they're they, all yeah. living a lie. They're not only all living a lie, but they're killing each other because mm-hmm. of this lie. Sounds Every, familiar. Yeah, everyone. It's everyone's <laughs> been complicit in murder. Right, right. So it's I mean it's intense, but again, it's very intense. You know, the beauty of it is, is that this episode, again, the Red Angel just pops up at the end. And it's like, you know, <laughs> it's one of those memes on Facebook. Follow me for more recipes. It's like you just you keep you keep following the <laughs> Red Angel for more recipes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that could be the name of this episode. You guys keep talking while I change the name of the episode. Yeah, change it. Go ahead. Oh, um, my gosh. Rich, will you read the last one while he changes the episode? You want me to read the last one, too? I can read the last yeah. one. Light and Shadows. Discovery is confronted by a time anomaly while researching the Red Angel signal over Kaminar. Uh, Pike and Tyler investigate the anomaly in a shuttlecraft, sending sending a probe into it. The same probe soon attacks them, now upgraded with future technology, which uses their shuttle's computer system to infect Arium secretly. They destroy it with Stamets' help as the exposure to the network allows him to ignore the time discrepancies in the anomaly. Meanwhile, Burnham visits Vulcan as she continues to search for Spock. Confronting Grayson, Burnham learns that she has been hiding Spock, who has been, who is in, 
physical distress or psychological distress, excuse me, repeating phrases and a series of numbers. His father, Sarek, instructs Burnham to trust Starfleet and take Spock to Section 31 to fix his mind. Section 31's doctors claim that they can help him, but when but Giorgio wants her warns her that Spock will not survive the memory extractor that Section 31 plans to use on him. Burn, uh, excuse me, Giorgio helps Burnham stage an attack that allows Burnham and Spock to escape the ship. So, searching for Spock and then on the run with Spock, Jane and Spock see them go up the hill. I mean, there's just there's a lot of moving and shaking in this, but oh my god, I I'm loving Ethan Peck as Spock. He's really oh, oh my god, that's in my notes. I was like, I love 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 Ethan Peck as Spock way more than JJ stupid Spock. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, and and JJ since we're going to take a moment to bash JJ anyway, there was nothing about the <laughs> Spock character in those movies that fit the bill. I no. mean, you know, no. him his relation his romance with Uhura made no sense. Culturally, no. it's ridiculous because that's not what Vulcans do. They don't they don't get horny and hook up with a coworker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that it, it, whether the human or the not human, Spock never did that. He was just he was all over the place. Uh, he was getting all pissy. Uh, you know, it's just it was terrible. Where the, you know this Spock, while he's you know his madness, his his unvulcanness has a purpose that drives the plot forward and re, re, is really interesting to watch. So he's great. Love seeing Giorgio into play. Section 31 is, is shady as shit. Yeah, um, but I like Giorgio. You see her go from, like, dark universe badass to badass with feelings. Right, exactly. Yeah. So she's kind of kind of found her niche. So Section 31 is a weird anomaly because, you know, it was, it was founded in DS9. It was a very shadowy organization. Off the books, nobody knew what it was. Uh, it jumped back to Enterprise, which is, you know, 100 years prior to Discovery, 200 years prior to DS9, where they're... Also very much in the shadows. They have the same outfits. So those Section 31 outfits don't change in 200 years. Talk about <laughs> lack of repl- replicator acumen. They can't get some decent new clothes. Um, but by the time we're here in Discovery, Section 31 is its own branch of Starfleet. They got their own ships. They have their own fancy badge. So, you know, does something happen to Section 31 to drive them back into the shadows? That's what I think is potentially a future, you know, story element that we could see. I think that would be cool. Yeah, I I agree with you. Well, all 100%. right. I like I like that. <laughs> so, uh, any other thoughts? Uh, no. Not really. No. no. I laid I'm, one out. I I'm really really excited for what's what's to come. Yeah. I mean, they they snuck that little sentence in the long rambling synopsis about mm-hmm. Arium um and you know, I had a really, really hard time um, in a couple episodes coming up. So I'm, I'm very – the second half of season two is amazing. So I, I can't wait to do it. Cracker I mean, this Jackie, is good, yeah. but that's awesome. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, and, and it it delivers – especially those last couple episodes. Like, oh, my – just, oh, oh, I can't wait to talk about it. So we will be uh, – <laughs> you'll you're listening to this right now. Uh, it's, you know, Monday. Uh, it's it's uh, Memorial Day. Uh, that when this episode drops and then uh, that that first Monday in June is when you'll be listening to us ramp it up. So uh, anyway, out of the news, two stories this week. John Delancey, he's still being a little scamp. Uh, I know, but that pic- that picture that they have, I took a oh, picture. Of, I took a picture of my computer screen and sent it to you. He's got his mouth <laughs> open. It's like an oh my god kind of face. Oh, it's hilarious. Goodness. 
so he he's back there now. You know, he's talking about you know his appearances uh, on the upcoming season or seasons of Picard because it's being rumored that seasons uh, two and three are filming back to back. So he's coming back and just planning on harassing up uh, not only Picard but he does uh, give a tease that we could see the return of Data who did die. Uh, officially, or he was taken offline, or he disappeared in little bips and bops at the end of Picard. Sorry, Richie, you didn't see Picard, had you? Oh, shit, no. That's okay. I'll wipe oh, it from my, my memory. Boop. I'm sorry. Yes, exactly. Bloop! Uh, I would go watch that very soon. Uh, so that we don't <laughs> run into this again. Um, but yeah, De- you know, Delancey, and again, I've had my misgivings. How is Delancey going to fit in with the Picard format? Um, I know. It, I'm four. I think it'll be fine. Don't worry. You know, Trust it, well, me. It, it, it suggests that, that they're going to go with a different approach in, in season two, which is fine because if everything was dark and dour, then every then it, again it would just become very homogenous. So um, Delancey's great. I, you know, I'm coming around looking to be more excited uh, to see him, but I do want to know when we're getting the show. Soon-ish, maybe. Soon, coming soon. Pro- pro- I hope so because these actors aren't getting any younger, so they need to hurry oh, up. Uh, yeah, I know. We yeah, they go to the expire. So, Rich, any thoughts about Q? Are you a diehard uh, fan like we are? Uh, you know, I I I can kind of take or leave Q, which is weird because I think a lot of people really like Q. I think he's all right. He's fine. Um. And I just read just now that Picard hasn't um, signed the contract yet. That's why they haven't done it. They haven't because, done. Oh, that you mean? Um, Patrick Stewart. Patrick pulls, Stewart hasn't signed the contract. He hasn't. Yet? He hasn't signed the deal to return to Star Trek yet. Uh oh. Oh, oh, but but they're filming the show. You mean beyond what's being filmed right now? Yeah. So they oh. don't know about a season three. Interesting. He might not do it. I mean, he's seventy-seven years old, so maybe he doesn't want to. Yeah, Let right. The guy rest. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, he I, wants to go like Boca Raton and like live it up. That's what I right. do. Del Boca France or something. Del Boca Vista. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and then finally, uh, getting back to lower decks. Uh, Mike McMahon interviewed recently, and I set this. It says exploring ensigns and unexpected caminos. I thought it said exploding ensigns. So maybe mm-hmm. that's a new a new twist. Are we all caught up on lower decks? I know Aaron, you were kind of like, oh, no, it's a, car- I'm not, it's I'm, a cartoon. I'm, I know. Blah, blah. I watched. I'm tr- I'm trying. I know, but it's going to be August before you know it, so you got to get caught up. Because I'll be ca- I promise I'll be caught up by right. the time we do it. So you can spoil it all you want, though. I, well, I, I mean, you know, this not they're not tremendous. I mean, at, at the end of it, you know, uh, Boimler, who is our main character, he took a promotion uh, to be on the Titan so he could be with Riker, who is his hero, which I totally understand. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, th- this makes it sound like uh, season two is going to pick up where that cliffhanger left off. Uh, which was, you know, uh, really expertly shown in that teaser where Boimler's, you know, flying the ship and freaking out. Um, uh, we also had Rutherford, who was the the cyborg crewman, uh, had his implants ripped out and lost his memories. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's it's looking like we're not going to just, you know, shelve that, um, but we're going to pick things up and we're going to keep things moving to uh, season three. So this is just a delightful show. I love mm-hmm. the half hour format. I love the ten episode. Uh, season run because you can sit down and just knock it out and enjoy it all over again so well they're saying I'm, that will will wheaton's gonna be on it yeah. oh man <laughs> if you re- if you read the article uh well you, you know i'm a skimmer uh have oh, you guys, okay. have you guys <laughs> and o'brien miles have, o'brien have you guys been listening to uh gates mcfadden's new podcast the investigates no. no is it good oh my god it's amazing she just had her third episode first one was frakes 
Second one was LeVar Burton. This week's is Will Wheaton. Wow. And it is not in any way, shape, or form about Star Trek. They don't talk about Star Trek at all. That huh. she is, she is just, she's interviewing them is just as if they were a regular ass person. She's talking to old friends, so it's really, it's quite exceptional. I, I would recommend it, but yeah, I'll definitely check it out. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, yeah, struggling with Wesley and and yeah, Q made an appearance and yeah, O'Brien and yeah, oh my gosh, it's just it's fun and that's a show that's a wink and a nod kind of show, you know, mm-hmm. as far as the the little the, the little teasers that they do um to kind of trot out. Um, little things about Star Trek, a lot of inside jokes, but I think definitely very enjoyable to kind of the masses, the uninitiated. So anyway, and it's, it's the only Titan show we're ever going to get. It's the only show with like exactly. what goes out on the Titan that we're ever going to get. So no, uh, robbed of that. <laughs> well, uh, that's about the show you guys. So without further ado, who's ta- who's, uh, who's rolling us away to this week. Aaron's doing it. Do it. All right. For more information about Starfleet International and Michigan and beyond, please visit Graham Petoskey and Nomad on Facebook. The Code 47 podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network and is produced by Todd Oxtra. Oh, yeah. Well, friends, as always, thank you for joining us. We are, of course, uh, the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network for great shows, all found on our brand new website. That is right. We launched just a couple of weeks ago, Secret Friends Unite Dot com. It's the home to all of our podcasts, our four shows, this program, Code 47, all about Star Trek, obviously. Holocron Chronicles talks about Star Wars. Uh, Co-op Mode talks about video games. And Secret Friends Unite, since 2014, has been your guide to the geek side, bringing you a, uh, a melange of geek culture news. Uh, so find us over there, including original content, uh, photo stories, and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, you can find us over on Twitter, at Secret Friends U. Drop us a line, let us know something you're enjoying, uh, and we will hit you back and talk about you on one of our shows. Right now, on Monday, if you listen to the show, like just when it comes out, our store over on Public is wrapping up a Memorial Day sale, up to 35% off of t-shirts, hoodies, magnets, stickers, Unfortunately, not hats. Unfortunately, not hot pants. It's it's a do real bummer. Do they have bummer. socks? They do not have socks, which is okay. just like, what are you doing? But they but, have uh, stickers. But they have stickers and magnets. <laughs> coffee I mugs? Gonna, I, they have co- and tumblers. Oh, yeah, I, was, I, I can't wait to get a coffee mug with Secret oh, Friends man. Unite on it. I'm going to do, do that this weekend. I think you should. I was going to get a couple magnets, slap those on my fridge. So at any rate. I'll be the envy of, of all my friends. All of your friends. So at, at any rate, the proceeds do go uh, to support the show, keeping the show going, uh, and to enhance our abilities to bring you more fun content in the future. So friends, one more time, thank you for joining us. I'm going to tell you, as always, that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. Kapla. And to remember, uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one.